the, did, did you notice um, on the screen when the kids were headed out, it said AA123? Does anybody know what that means? That means we have so many babies in the nursery, we're in deep trouble. Can you come and help us? So all the nursery workers kind of fly in there. But have you noticed how many times we've seen that in recent weeks? Maybe not at all. Okay. Well, the good news, there are lots of babies in the nursery. That's the first step. So that's what I'm telling you. That's exciting. That's, that's such a wonderful, wonderful thing. I would also like, just before I speak, uh, and, and we'll pray, but just to bring to you um, uh, a request uh, which comes from the leadership and the finance committee of our church. We're moving toward the end of the year, and we would love to see our budget met. We're, by my calculation, $62,000 away. And that's not a huge amount considering our overall budget, but uh, it's really important if we can make that happen, IPC. I know a lot of you will be giving extra gifts as the year ends, and if you would consider us uh, in that. Here's why it's important. Um, we meet budget this year. We can, we can really go into the next year with real confidence encouraged in order that we might fulfill our vision. I always would encourage you as a church to recognize that the giving is connected to life change. The giving is connected and is intended for the things of God to happen in the lives of people. And our vision is that people would connect to Jesus, people who don't know him or believe in him would come to know him, that people, people would deepen in faith, <clears throat> people who have become believers would grow more like Christ and be transformed in significant ways, and people in this world would then go into the world and change the world. And uh, so really, if, if you can take that to heart, and if we can end the year in a strong way, that would be fabulous. And we're looking for that, and we're looking forward toward a great year next year also. All right? Great. Thank you. Thank you for all you've given and for all that you do. Let me pray. Gracious God, we're thankful to be part of a church where uh, your people gather Sunday by Sunday. We meet in homes and life groups. We serve in the community, as we've heard about today, within Dwell and in other places. Um, God, we just are thankful for IPC. We're thankful for what we encounter of you here and what we encounter of you through one another. And our prayer, Lord, now is as we turn our thoughts again to this incredible book that you have inspired, and uh, we can now study to know your mind. We pray, Lord, that you would speak, and that a real sense of your presence would be here with us, that we would know the word of God as it comes to us, and we would leave here ready to, uh, to obey, to act in faith, uh, to go forward celebrating what you have done for us in Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I want to talk this morning, and actually next Sunday too, about the significance of Christmas. That surprise anybody? Probably not. <laughs> but I want, I, would, I, I, I believe with all of my heart that God wants, and I think with him I share this, I want us as a church to be impacted by the reality of what Jesus did in his coming 2,000 years ago. Here's the deal, as far as I perceive it sometimes, occasionally we're not impacted. You know, oh, the Jesus, Jesus, the baby was born in Bethlehem, you know, he, he came and he did this and he did that, and he's like, oh, isn't it nice, and, you know, pass the cranberry sauce, you know, because the world does distract us. We all, we all recognize that, right? I love Christmas because it gets us to focus on Jesus, like it really does. It just points us to him, but sometimes it's hard to get to him because so much else is going on, and those aren't bad things unless they keep us, I suppose, from Jesus himself. But I want this week and next week to just, you know, take some texts of scripture with you and dig into them and focus on the reality of the impact that the birth of a child 2,000 years ago, um, what it means in our lives. I want to say to you, the impact can be huge, incredibly significant. 
And I would suggest that if we are to maximize this season, we're going to get to that place where it's a big deal in our lives what Jesus has done for us. And I want to read Matthew chapter uh, 1, verses uh, 18 to 21, and then we're going to reflect together on, on uh, a, a very short uh, or, or a short part of that verse um, at, the, uh, at the end of the, of the passage. So let me read uh, Matthew 1, starting at 18. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. So Matthew, who's writing this letter, he's, he's going gonna, gonna, I'm gonna to let you have it. I'm going to tell you what it's about. Here we go. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Already we're going like, whoa, this is different, right? You know, Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Now, the, the word of God is coming to this man, young man, teenager likely. Um, God is coming into his life. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. No earthly father. God worked a miracle here. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And that last phrase is what I want to focus on today. Uh, call him Jesus, which, by the way, literally means the Lord saves. I've taught you that before. But then this, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, what happens in your heart and in your mind when I read that phrase? He will save his people from their sins. You know, the danger is we've heard this kind of thing so much that not much happens. It's like, oh, yeah, I know that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Jesus came, he was born, he died on a cross so that he could forgive our sins and save us from our sins. No impact. You know, sometimes it becomes so familiar that it's, it's um, can I call it bland? Truth coming our way? It loses its impact. It doesn't, you know, make a, a significant difference to us. You know, can I, can I even call it in the minds of some boring? Oh, not that again, please, Chris. I know that one. I got it. You know? Uh, I want to suggest to you this is a huge deal for your life and mine if indeed it's a reality in your life, if indeed you have been saved from your sins. I'm going to talk about that today. Um, it starts with the idea, I want to suggest, that, you know, if we, if we are saved from something, it's, it's, it's got to be saved, we've got to be saved from something. Another brilliant statement by your pastor, right? But it's true. If we have actually been saved, we're saved from something. You know, I think as a, by way of illustration of, of uh, the people who encountered Katrina in New Orleans, how many years ago? A lot of years ago. Um, but of course, in the living memory of many, many of us, thousands and thousands and thousands of people were just slammed in their lives, if you would, destroyed by this hurricane, Category 5 hurricane that, that, that hit New Orleans. Um, and, you know, the people were left in desperate need. We're going to just, of course, show you some of these pictures. Can you imagine being in one of those houses as the water started to rise higher and higher and higher after the levees broke? And you're going from the first floor to the second floor, and then in time you're going onto the roof? Can you imagine being there and being kind of in this desperate condition? What am I going to do? What if this water keeps rising would, be, would have been one of my questions. But second to that, when it stopped rising, what am I going to do? No food, no water, no basic necessities of life. Look at that. You know, no basic necessities of life. How do you get water when you're surrounded by salt water, by the way, and probably highly polluted water? How do you drink to survive? How do you get food when you can't get off your roof? 
they didn't have either. Um, you know, the, the idea that, that they were in desperate straits is, is no, uh, uh, no overstatement. These people were desperate. They were in danger. The, the, what they needed for life and health and well-being was just not present. And you know what? They couldn't do anything about it. Look at this. Anything will help. Help, please. We need water and food and so forth. No food for two, two days um, and so on. Hard to read, but that's what the sign essentially says. That would have been a very tough place to be. These people were in great difficulty. You remember people going to and living in the, uh, in the Superdome there? Place which became, in time, those are people around the edge. It became, in time, an incredibly filthy place. No running water, no flushing. Get the point? It became a lawless place. There was a lot of violence. Women were raped. Um, it became a terrible, terrible experience for people. And people would hold up signs. You've seen some of the signs. Help us, save us. And day after day after day, they cried out for help. The media could get there, but apparently the, the rescuers couldn't. And day after day, no one came. And I don't know about your experience, but I was just stunned that the most powerful nation in the world could not get help to their own people for so long. Remarkable. You see, you can't use the word save. It just doesn't make sense to use the word save unless you recognize that the people who are being saved are in danger. They're in a desperate place and in, and in desperate need of help. You were to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Can I ask just... Just for a minute as we dig, start to dig into this, do you ever consider yourself or have you ever considered yourself in desperate need of help? Desperate need of a savior? See, when Joshua got this message from God, God spoke clearly and loudly. It was profound. It was real so much so that it, it changed his life. But he quite, wouldn't quite have understood the, the message. And I think many, many, many people in his day, wouldn't have quite understood the message. It wasn't their sins he probably would have thought that they needed saved from. It was those Romans' sins that they needed saved from. You know? They were, the, the, the boot of Rome was on their neck. They were oppressed, and, 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 and they were suffering. They were not free, uh, highly taxed, which would have been bad enough economically, but they were abused violently. Jesus wasn't the only person in that day to be crucified. You know that. There were many, many, many people crucified because that's how the Romans, one way at least, uh, held on to power. <laughs> Confront us, guess what happens to you? And this Roman dictatorship was a brutal dictatorship. And, and I'm sure the Jewish people, while well, we know they looked for a Messiah to come to free them from this, to save them from the sins of other people. Not our sins. Those blasted Romans we need help with. They're the sinful. Don't ever let that happen to you. And as we read this and study this passage today, Jesus came to save his people from their sins, first and foremost, and that's us. Um, what's going on? God is telling Joseph uh, um, that there was a power, that it was at work in God's people then and now. This power had taken over their lives, and that power was called the power of sin from which these people desperately needed saved and from which we still desperately need saved. I'm going to talk a lot about sin today. You're, oh, you're, you are. Oh, good. Ho, ho, ho. 
We don't, we, if we don't understand the power of sin and the desperate place that we're in before and without Jesus, we'll never celebrate its coming. Not the way we ought to. And there's good news in this too, by the way. So we'll talk about that as well. See, the, 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 the message came. God came and God said, listen, I'm going to, I have worked and the Holy Spirit has caused Mary to conceive and the child in her womb is the Son of God. He is your Savior. He is the one who will save you from this desperate state that you find yourself in. And I want to say, my friends, we have got to understand the desperate state that people are in without Jesus. You know? This power is real. It is present. It is forceful. It is destructive. And you need saved. Is that you? You know, my point today as I try to teach scripture to you is to get you all to say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. I'm going to talk about how Jesus, how Jesus saves past, present, and future. First of all, Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin in our past. Anybody have sinned in their past? <laughs> okay, come on, IPC, hands in the air. We all do. The Bible says we all do, right? It's there. Um, the third chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, tells a story of Adam and Eve, and it describes the incredibly significant problem that every single human being has, including us, or had. And that is that Adam and Eve rejected God's word, and in so doing, they rejected his authority. God had spoken, and they said no, right? They rebelled against God, and they, what the Bible calls, they sinned. That's why Jesus had to come to save us from our rebellion, our disobedience, our disbelief. These two sinned, and, and, and the result is, was, the penalty was, that, that, that they were sent out of the Garden of Eden. They were cast out of Eden, the, you know, the story goes. And most particularly, what that refers to is they were cast out of the presence of God. No longer this intimate, harmonious, deep presence of God in their lives, which they were created to know. All of a sudden... They were separated from God. They were sent away from him because sin had seeped into their being. This rebellious spirit, an action, of course, which came from it. The Bible calls it spiritual death. I want to read from, for you the first few words in Romans 6, verse 23. It says this, for the wages of sin is, say it with me, ho, ho, ho. But we're facing reality here. The wages of sin, the result of sin, the penalty of sin is separation from God both now and forever. <laughs> unless somehow we can get saved. What speaking of is this separation from God and this alienation from Him, and it's a, as a result living under the, the power of sin in our lives, so the Bible describes, and it's living with the eternal consequences of potentially going into eternity without God forever. Jesus called it hell. It's a hard thing, but that's what He called it. Now, my friends, if that isn't desperate need, what I just described to you, I don't know what is. That's a big deal. That's serious stuff. Everyone who is not saved from this inherited condition, which we've inherited from Adam and Eve, ultimately, we are worse off than the people of Katrina. Figuratively speaking, so says the Bible. And like them, and I want us to note this, there's nothing we can do about it. See how the situation's getting worse? And the worse it gets, the more we recognize the need of salvation. 
People of Katrina couldn't find water, they couldn't find food, they couldn't find a way out, they couldn't find protection. All these things. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 in the New Living Translation, I, I like it. it. God saved you by His grace when you believed. So if there's anyone here who has come in the past, we're talking about the past now, to that place of trusting in Jesus, God saved you. He acted, right, in a powerful way. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. We can't take credit if we have been saved by Jesus. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Now that's going to shock some of you if you haven't heard this before. We don't get into a relationship with God by the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. <laughs> we don't get into a relationship with God by being good. We don't get into heaven by being good. We get into heaven because God has saved us by his grace through the gift of faith. The gift of faith. The reality is, my friends, you know, we, there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves. And we, when Jesus came and when we were born, desperately, desperately needed him in our lives in order to save us from our own condition, if you would, to bring faith, to bring grace, to give us forgiveness, to show us love, and ultimately to reunite us to God. You know, that person born in Bethlehem, that person who, who would come to save you and me, his name was and is Jesus. So he, we have been saved, the Bible says. The Bible says we can also be saved from the power of sin in our present lives. Let me ask you this question. Anyone here dealing with the presence and power of sin in your life right now? Anybody see it? Anybody experiencing that at all? Even when we have been saved, even in our past when we have come to Christ and we said, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sin and come into my life and save me. I will make you my Lord as you have become my Savior. Even when that happens, anybody struggling with, with sin at all? Um, we all are, thank you. <laughs> I was just about to say that. It's there, it's real. And it's something we need saved from. You know, the Bible says that we are being saved as much as we have been saved. Colossians 1.18. Just some verses which, which describe this. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed for destruction. Never talk to people and they just can't wrap their head around what the Bible says. It's, it's stupidity to them. It's absolute, absolute absurdity. The Bible says, folks whose eyes have not been opened to see and understand the message of Christ and the plan of God for salvation... Just don't get it. It's just gobbledygook to them. But we who are being saved, circle that if you have a Bible open and you circle things in your Bibles. Know it is the very power of God. This message of Jesus is the power of God at work in us as we are being saved here, right now, today, tomorrow, the day after that, and the day after that yet again. See, the deal is this. We live with this power at work in our lives it is a real thing, it is a significant thing, and it seeks to destroy and to harm us in Christ. That's the reality of what it means to be in Jesus. You know, the first uh, 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 of the 12 steps of, of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, by the way, ask anybody in AA if, if they believe in the reality and the power of sin, you, uh, they will say yes, they will not argue with you on this one, they get it. They've come to that place where they see it and they go, yep, it's real. But the first step is this, and I'm going to read it to you. We admit that we are powerless over alcohol and that our lives have become unmanageable. They get it. These people can't stop drinking. 
They're, they're, they're addicted to it. It's, it compels them. It is, it is the power of sin at work in their lives. There is something going on in themselves that's greater than the power that they have to say no. And it makes their lives unmanageable. It signifies the reality of the power of sin. Anybody here have a bit of an unmanageable life somehow because of the power of sin at work in you? You see, sin always makes life, this is kind of a soft word, unmanageable. It's a destructive force. It's a power that only harms. But it's real and it's there. Here's my question for you. If it's not alcohol in your life, what is it? And I'm not going to ask everybody to come up here and confess their sin, but every single one of us could. <laughs> and I hope you do every day before God. You see, there is so much. Sometimes we don't even know what that is, but it leads to this unmanageable life, this distress, this struggle, this heartache, this pain. Whatever that is, if you're experiencing life in that fashion, it comes from the power of sin. It's weaved into our souls. It's there, and we're in desperate need without Jesus. We're in desperate need for Jesus. You know, for some people, what might it be? Pride? You know, uh, again, sometimes it's not recognizable in ourselves, but others might look at us and say, man, that guy's life, it's all about him. <laughs> you know, whatever works for him, he chooses, or her, she chooses. You know, it's all about, you know, getting what, what I want, it's doing what I want to do. I want to tell you, that kind of attitude in relationships really is destructive to relationships. <laughs> that kind of attitude in, in, in life is really ultimately destructive to us, we just don't know it. But pride sometimes can take hold of us and harm us. How about the idea of anger, maybe even of violence? Um, I've sat down with, with guys, men, whose wives have left them because they are angry and violent with their wives. And, um, you know, often they're brokenhearted and they're in tears uh, because the person they have loved has gone away. And um, <laughs> quite frankly, for good reason, and they know it. And, 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 you know, anger sometimes can take over and they just wish against all, all hope that they could just be self-controlled and they could be patient and they could be gentle. But something happens, the power of sin rises up in them and they lash out physically to the point of potentially destroying the most important relationship in their lives. What too often, by the way, happens, not often, I suppose, but sometimes... Uh, he'll say sorry and she says you're forgiven and she moves back in too quickly and the same thing happens over again or it happens over again or it happens over again and because real change doesn't happen deep down a marriage fails power of sin it's real I don't know what your thing is I know what my thing is I'm not going to confess it any more up here than you confess your stuff but it's real right I mean, I could go on and on. Greed, it, it can take hold of a person's life. You know, I exist in order to have, and the more I have, the better I am, and I'm not going to give it away. I'm not, you know, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, it's an expression of self-centeredness. And I'm going to live for this thing, contrary to what God's word says, contrary to the character of God. You see what I'm saying? This stuff is real, and it is there, and it is powerful, and it is destructive. And I want to tell you this, my friends. Just in case you don't know it already, the, the power of sin is far greater than the power you have to break free of it or to say no to it. And you need Christ in your life to empower you 
to be able to do what you cannot do on your own, and so do I. This is the incredible thing about Christmas. You know, the child born in Bethlehem is the one who came to save us, and his name is Jesus. He can transform life. He can make his people of incredible generosity and love instead of greed. He can make his people of, 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 of humility who live for others and of love instead of love for ourselves and pride. He can make his people of self-control, both in terms of our, our anger and in terms of our actions. He can do it. He has the power to do it because he is, as the angel said, the son of God. And I could go on and on, but you get the point, don't you? See, Jesus can dwell within us. Jesus can come to those who recognize their desperate need of being saved. And he can work the power of God in us and transform us and change us day by day. I don't, I don't, I don't mean you have to wait until you're you know, 70 or 80 or 90 years old to figure this out. This can happen now. The presence of Christ at work in his people and he can give us that life that we long for. Romans chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. We read the end of, uh, or the beginning of 23 a minute ago. But listen to the broader context. But now that you have been, say it with me, set free from sin. But now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves to God. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We're his. Um, then you, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life, for the wages of sin is death. But listen to this, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we enter into that eternal life? Because we have been saved, we have been forgiven, we are reunited with the Lord, and the presence of Jesus comes by his spirit within us, and he then empowers us to live holy lives as we move forward in this experience of ours. My friends, number one, have you found eternal life in Jesus in your past? Have you entered that yet, or is that something that's still ahead of you? Have you opened up your life to Christ, this one who came? It's only because he came, died on the cross, and rose to new life that we can have him indwell our lives, as Joyce spoke of, to have literally the presence of God's spirit within us. Have you been saved? Are you being saved? Are you encountering the reality of the presence and the power of Jesus in your life to overcome sin? It's the most remarkable, wonderful, life-giving thing that a human being can know. And it can take you from the unmanageable life, to quote AA, <laughs> the mess that we sometimes make of life in whatever context that, that might be, and he can transform a human being. He does it, not us. We can't. We're weak. He's strong. That's why we need him. Are you encountering Christ in that way, my friends? You know, the second step of AA, we have come to believe, there's a key word, that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. You need restored to sanity? You know what I mean, right? <laughs> you need set free from the power of sin so that you can live a holy life and find the incredible blessing and joy of that. Jesus is available to you to save you today. Today. And the third thing that we are saved from is the power of sin in the future. The um, Bible says we are going to be saved. Did you know that? It's not just in the past. It's not just in the present. It's in the future too. Philippians chapter 1, 18, I think, or whatever it is. 28, there we go. Don't be intimidated by, in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved even by God himself. If you have been saved and you are being saved, how is it that we're going to be saved? 
Think about this. Look at this world today. And can anyone question the power of sin? All I need to do is mention the word ISIS. And it's there. Right? You know, the various groups functioning in the Middle East. You know, drive-by shooting in Toronto two days ago. And, you know, we don't even have to look beyond our own lives to see this. But if when you do look be, uh, into the world, you see the power of sin. We're plagued by this thing. We're controlled by it, if you would. But a day is coming, my friends, and this is a time like no other in the year to celebrate this dynamic. And the day is coming when the baby who was born in Bethlehem in weakness and in humility will come again in glory and in power, and he will save us on that day in this world of ours. Because of the cross of Jesus, where the baby ultimately went and defeated sin and evil and death, he will come again, having defeated its power, to destroy it. This is in the future. It's going to happen. He's going to banish sin from all of creation so that we will once again live where? In Eden, as Adam and Eve once lived. We're going back to the future, right? We're going to get to that place once again when there is no more sin and we will know God in an incredibly deep and intimate and powerful way and we will walk with him in the garden as Adam and Eve were said to walk in the garden and sin will be no more. Our natural predisposition won't be toward sin. It'll be toward righteousness. It won't be toward disbelieving God. It will be toward believing God and we will be what we were ultimately created to be when Jesus comes again. It's an amazing, awesome, an awesome thing. Be no apple tree. I think there'll be lots of trees. We'll just know better than to eat anything from it. You see, the reality is that, 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 that society someday will be governed by God's truth, not the lies of the enemy. Society will be governed someday by grace and not by revenge. Society will be governed by love and, by, and not by hate, by peace and not conflict and war. When Jesus comes again, the one who will ultimately save us, we will be guided and, and governed by generosity and not by greed, by humility and not by pride. Anybody getting kind of happy? This is incredibly good news. You know, by honesty and integrity, not by deceit or duplicity. Jesus will come in power and he will finish what he started 3,000 years ago and we will be in the future saved. That's good stuff. And if you have been saved, and if you are being saved, someday you will be saved, and you will enjoy that reality because of what Christ has come, done in his coming, in his death, and in his resurrection. I want to tell you on a more personal level, and this is future-oriented, the Bible says Jesus is going to come to judge the living and the dead. Does that include us? Yeah. <laughs> it includes everyone. And those who are still in sin, not having received the salvation that Jesus brings, are going to be cast into utter darkness, Jesus said. That's a serious word. That's a, that's a big deal. But a, an eternal separation from God, because they have not repented by faith and come to follow uh, after the, Jesus in his way. That should spur this church on passionately to sharing with those who don't know the Lord Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, so that they might be saved. This needs to be a passion in our hearts as a church, right? But for those who are in Christ, for those who have come to that place of, of, of recognizing 
the baby Jesus as the one who came to save us from our sins. And the ones who have approached him and confessed their sin and sought and received his forgiveness. For the ones who have come to faith and for the ones who have, as a result, had Christ alive by his spirit in us, empowering us to live for righteousness. Those people in the judgment, God, Christ himself, the judgment's done. It happened on the cross. What will we experience? We will experience the welcome of God into heaven because we are we have given Jesus our sin. He's given us his righteousness. All God sees is the righteousness of Jesus in his people. That's good news, folks. It's awesome news. This is the good news of Christmas that we have to celebrate. My friends, can I ask you, when you look at your life, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see the reality of what I'm, I've been speaking to this morning? Is it at work in you? Is it real? Or is it somehow yet distant from you? Something maybe you'd like to take a hold of, but you're not in it yet. You're not part of this. It's possible. See, sometimes we do create messes in our lives. And, you know, we'll always to some degree do that because sin's always there and we're, you know. But the reality is that it does sometimes signify our desperate need. You look at our world and it signifies our desperate need of a Savior. It signifies the need that, 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 that Jesus came and that Jesus is and that Jesus is alive and that Jesus is our solution. See, the reality is, and I guess I'm speaking figuratively, of course, the, the world we live in now and sometimes our own lives, we're in, we're in New Orleans after Katrina, <laughs> right? And the only difference between those poor people and ourselves is this, and it's an incredible, incredible difference. Our Savior has come. You know? The army with the helicopters and the, and the buses, and it's, it's, it's entered into our world. <laughs> As Jesus was born to save us and his people from their sins. It's, he's here. You know, I, I think there's only one time in my life I actually saved people from really serious harm. And it happened um, probably in my early 20s. It's a long time ago now, but we were, I was up at our family cottage in Georgian Bay. And it's kind of raised up overlooking Bowers Bay near Perry Sound. And it's a big bay, and, and this particular day was not a good day. It's the kind of day you wanted to stay inside. The clouds were low, it was dark as a result, and they were thick. Um, it was, the, the rain was falling, although there was no thunder and lightning. Thank God, literally. Um, uh, the wind was blowing. It was cold. <laughs> and uh, the waves in the bay were as big as they get in Bowers Bay, probably three feet or whatever, maybe a bit more. The kind of day you don't normally go out, never mind go on the water. And um, I was just standing looking out at the bay uh, on this given day, and I saw just something. You know how when there are waves, you kind of see something and then you don't? And I thought, like, what's that? So I went and got binoculars and I looked, and um, I could see there was a capsized boat with a bunch of people hanging onto it. And, oh, that's not good. That, is, that, is, that would be a very tough place to be. Uh, and a dangerous place. Uh, and I realized I can't do nothing. I have to do something. So I got my dad, and we got in the boat and, and headed out. It wasn't really safe, but it was okay. You know, I didn't think my life was in danger. But the kind of day you'd never go on the water otherwise. And, and when we got to the middle of the bay, we found six, I believe, exhausted people and very cold people 
just holding on for dear life to the capsized boat. Um, and we saved them. And I'm not saying, hey, Chris is a hero. Well, maybe I am. You know. <laughs> That's not in my notes, that last part. But what I am saying is this. Without someone to help those people that day, I think someone would have died, if not more than one. I really do. Those people were in tough shape when we arrived. Two points. Again, that's us. The Bible says without Christ, we're in desperate need. We're in tough shape. But the other thought is this. Can you imagine as they clung to that boat? One of them had decided to swim for shore. You know that deadly effort that sometimes people make? And he was only about 50 feet away and we're able to call him back. But can you imagine what those folks must have felt as those waves went up and down and they saw, saw a boat coming their way? I, I can imagine it. <laughs> it would have been like, oh, thank God. Someone to save me. Someone to help me in a circumstance where I can't help myself. There's hope. We're going to get out of this. Thank God. So my friends, one day God, I don't think he needed binoculars, but he saw us in a desperate place. And he chose to come. And you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. That includes you and me. Um, you, know what, you know what I think is that uh, as we approach Christmas... And we need to understand the coming of Jesus into our lives, not only why he came, but what it means for us today. And we need to celebrate with absolute joy the fact that he came. Final question for you. That's a serious one. I never ask it uh, lightly, but it is this. Have you been saved? Have you come to that place where you've said, Lord Jesus, I believe. I just do. And I invite you into my life and I pray that you will forgive my sin, that you'll take it away forever and ever and ever so that I'll never need to deal with it again. And I invite you into my life not only to forgive me my sins, but to be my Lord as well as my Savior. So that from this point forward, I'm going to follow you with my whole heart and my soul, whole soul. I'm in. I want this relationship again with God that was lost in the Garden of Eden. I don't want to be at a distance and separate from you. I want in. And are you being saved as a result? <laughs> Christ indwelling your life, encountering the power of God to overcome this thing is more powerful than we can deal with ourselves. Is it a reality? And are you looking forward to great confidence to the day when we will stand in the presence of the judge of the living and the dead and he will say, enter in uh, to my heaven. For your sin has been forgiven and my righteousness has become yours and you are mine. Come and enjoy eternity with me and my father. My friends, the message of, of, of Christmas comes to us and it's, it's this absolutely incredible message that has 
that, that is potentially life-changing for us, for you, every single person here, every you in the building. Listen, we don't understand the power and the significance of Jesus coming until we understand the desperate need of our lives. But when we open up our lives to him, Jesus comes and he does what we need and he gives us what we desperately require. And forever and ever and ever we are his. So I say to you today, have you been saved? Um... Occasionally, I, I lead people in prayer here. Let's get people to quietly bow their heads. And if you're new or you're uncomfortable with that, then don't bother. You don't have to. We just bow our heads in God's presence. And I lead people through a simple prayer saying, Lord Jesus, come in. <laughs> I have sinned in my life and I need you to forgive me. I have sinned in my life and I need you to help, give me the power to overcome it. And I have sinned in my life and I, I need heaven, not hell. And I'm going to do that now. And I'm going to just invite you to, uh, if you haven't, ask Jesus in. Uh, that you might know him in his presence and in his power, both now and forever. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are just so, so thankful that you came to this earth as an infant child. Um, conceived in the womb of a young woman, humbled yourself, Lord, in weakness to come that you might save us from our desperate need, from the danger in which all humanity finds itself. And Lord, uh, for some, you bless us with this incredible gift of faith. You come to us and uh, by the work of your spirit, it's, it's there and you call us to repentance because of it, you call us, Lord, to an invitation of yourself into our lives to become not only our Savior, but also our Lord. So, Father, for those who may be here today who have heard lots about the dynamic of following Jesus but have not yet stepped in, we pray this simple prayer and um, invite people who wish to pray this prayer in the sincerity and in the quietness of their hearts to do so now. So if you'd like to be saved, if you'd like to invite Christ into your life, just quietly pray this prayer now uh, with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came as a baby to save me from my sins. And today I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins and I ask you into my life, into my heart, to dwell there. And I commit myself to following you, to turning away from sin and to embracing your way, to loving you, to serving you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that even in my praying, you have come to me that I am now yours, that I am now saved. Lord God, we celebrate with the angels those who have just prayed this prayer. And we pray for those people 
that they would grow in faith, that they would deepen in faith, that their understanding would grow and expand as they live in relationship with you now. Bless them this Christmas season, Lord. Cause them to know the incredible goodness of God in their lives. Lord, we all need you. We who have been saved need to know your power. Exercise that power in us that we might overcome the power of sin. God, we look to the future and we celebrate the day of your coming. How we will be received by grace into your arms and we will be given the blessing of heaven for eternity. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come. Thank you that you have saved us and that you will. Thank you for Christmas and our reflection, not on our need particularly, but on the work that you have done in your coming, in your death, in your resurrection, and in your present power. God, these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.